0: Hi, this is Simona Di Silvestro, and you're listening to More Front Wing. Hello, and welcome to another More Front Wing podcast. This is site editor Paul Dali, Uh sitting in for Steph this week, who is on assignment working on some other uh, things that she has going on these days, but I'm very excited to be joined, of course, this week by my Contributor on More Front Wing, John Lingle, who was on site with Steph this weekend at the Grand Prix of Houston for his home race. John, welcome back to the show. Yeah, and I'm a little confused on this since I'm taking Steph's
1: place. Am I supposed to uh, make fun and chide you at every turn during
0: this? Or well, it would. Uh, I don't know if it wouldn't if it would be a More Front Wing podcast if somebody wasn't chiding me at every turn and disagreeing. <laughs> so yes, have at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John. Where do we start? Let's uh let's just start at the top of the weekend. Thankfully, outside the confines of the Houston weekend, we don't have a whole lot of other news to cover from the IndyCar weekend, which is good because we've got so much to get to from this weekend. So let's start with, um, well, I guess we'll start with with Friday, uh, away from the track. (laughs) The big announcement from the weekend, of course, came from the announcement of Tony Kanan going to, to Chip Ganassi, which I guess wasn't the big announcement of what we actually learned in that press conference. Tell us what it was like being there.
1: Yeah, that that was very surprising. You know, we got uh, notification that the press conference was going to happen. Uh, they came out and uh, set up uh, three mics, but nobody really paid attention to it at that time. You know, we knew Tony would be coming out and Chip, and thought maybe Mike Hall or somebody might be coming up to the mic. And uh, Tony and Chip came, did their you know pretty standard uh, driver announcement press conference. Um, nothing really earth shattering nothing that hasn't been reported on in other outlets over the last few days and uh then they announced jim walter and flipped up his name tag on the other side of the sheet and uh, a little bit of a hush came over the room because uh kudos to indycar and indycar team they actually uh surprised us with something jim uh, campbell from gm yes uh did i say it wrong
0: jim walter i think is what you had said
1: oh yeah 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 jim campbell um uh, i guess i've got paul walter in my head there um <laughs> uh,
0: I was looking over some Pro
1: Mazda notes as well there. But, yeah, so then Jim Campbell came in, and, and uh, everybody kind of sat up in their seat and uh, pushed their recorders a little closer towards the mic and, and, uh, and, and really sat in there. Uh, I was not expecting that. I don't know. Uh, I, I myself hadn't heard any rumors to that end. Had you?
0: You know, there had been talk for some time that Ganassi could be making the switch to to Chevrolet from Honda. Obviously, he's been very vocal uh, particularly early in the year, he was very vocal about his—I uh, don't want to say disdain—that's certainly too harsh—but he was uh, disappointed in how Honda came out of the gates this this year at St. Petersburg, and really through the first. Uh, well, gee, they they really kind of got 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 taken to task until after Indianapolis. I guess they came out at Detroit and 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 showed strongly there, but Chip Ganassi certainly let it be known publicly that he was not pleased with the performance of his Honda engines early in the season. So there had been some rumors through mid season that, that that this was a possibility. I don't know that anyone thought it was coming in this manner though, that it would be announced this soon.
1: Yeah. Well, that was one thing that surprised me. I had a conversation with a few folks on Twitter uh, from the media center there this week, uh, uh, you know any deal that's this big you know it has to have been in the works for at least a few weeks you know the ink may not have been dry on the contract yet but uh, that definitely wasn't the first time they discussed it so you know it, it'd been in talks there uh, and i'm sure those talks probably originated when honda was was lacking a little bit but with the form that they'd started to show i wondered if there might have been a little bit of buyer's remorse uh, you know coming a little closer to time you know one of those two too late to back out now but uh, you know honda's pretty much turned it around uh been very competitive uh, between the teams i haven't really noticed the difference between the two uh just straight up engine wise uh i guess we'll see more uh, here at fontana i know uh, scott dixon made some comments uh about the chevys being stronger on the uh, speedways and uh, so far this year i think that's shown to be true
0: yeah i think we certainly saw that at fontana that that uh you know the chevrolet still has a horsepower edge or at least seemed to be you know when was that, two months ago, two and a half, gosh, three months ago? I guess it has been three months ago now since, not Fontana, since Pocono. Since Pocono, yeah. Uh, Good grief. How did did that uh, summer (laughs) slip away so quickly? I know, right? Uh, But we haven't been to a true horsepower track since Pocono, so we're not quite sure where where those engines are horsepower-wise. We would expect that Honda's been doing their homework over the last several months. We expect a... uh, a, a large number of, of entrants to to take their engi- new engines again at Fontana as we saw last year. So everyone's going to have the latest and greatest going into this. Uh, we know that Honda had a decisive edge in fuel mileage, um, but we're, we also knew that Chevrolet had that advantage in horsepower. So how that's going to play out, we don't know. And again, uh, you know, the other question is how much development – do we think honda has put into this current engine that'll be utilizing the single turbocharger for one more race this year before the honda goes to a a twin turbo setup for 2014
1: that's a good question because uh with the payouts in indycar and i know that's a big thing to honda but but still it's hard to imagine that they continued to spend x amount of dollars towards the single turbo and and contributed a uh you know, that same amount again or more to developing the twin turbo setup that they're going to have for next year. So uh, that, that could definitely uh, come into play. Uh, I know Roger Penske and the uh, winners uh, press conference on Sunday took Kind of showed us I think what most of the teams Like what you talked about What their uh, ideas will be uh, And he's already announced that Elio will take a 10 grid spot mm-hmm. penalty At Fontana Because their engine is, is close enough I, They may run it the first day of practice I think uh, And then they're going to switch to the to the new bullet um, and, I, and I expect 75% of the field or more Probably to follow suit
0: I, I think that's probably a fair assumption as well so this puts Ganassi and Penske together on the Chevrolet side. Honda right now—it's uh, fair to say they don't really have what might be considered an anchor team. You know, they have left. They have Foyt. They have—you uh, assume they're going to have Foyt back. We know that Simon Pagenaud will be back in that car for the uh, for Schmidt Hamilton race, or at least some form of Schmidt Motorsports next year. Whether <laughs> right. Hamilton. Whatever it is next year. Right. <laughs> Um, at, the, at this point, you know, is Schmidt Honda's strongest team? And of course, the rumor is that maybe Andretti Autosport goes back to Honda next year because Honda desperately is going to need, you know, one of those big banner teams to, 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 to push their engine forward. Where does Honda go from here?
1: Well, with with what's on the grid right now, you know they've got some teams that have, that have punched above their weight this year with Schmidt and uh, you know Justin Wilson sitting fourth in points and a Dale Coyne entry. But there's no doubt that if you're going to be competing against Penske and Ganassi both in the Chevys, they're going to have to dangle a carrot and because they they need they need that star power, that wow factor team that uh, you know that's a name that that people outside of the inner circle of racing recognize, too, and, and kind of gives credence to that. So, uh, you know, uh, I would imagine Michael is probably fixing to get a sweetheart deal.
0: Is, is there any other Chevrolet teams that you can see going there? It is, is KB going to go there? Uh, I don't think Ed Carpenter is likely to, to go back to Hon, to go to Honda. Who else could yeah. Honda go after?
1: You know, with with Tony leaving KV, I don't really see any reason why they wouldn't be able to switch. Uh, I, I think that would be, you know, uh, one of the more likely candidates. Uh, Ed, as you said, I, I don't think there's any chance he's going to go. Panther, we know, um, is pretty ensconced with Chevy. Um, KV and Dreddy are really the only two that just... Hop out right off the right off the top uh, that that might be attractive partners for Honda to to want to supply.
0: Well, Andretti certainly has a long history with Honda. They came with Honda to the IRL back in two thousand three. They, uh, you know, Andretti Green at the time certainly uh, gave them many of their popular victories. They got their first victory at Japan, their first win at in Indianapolis with with Andretti Autosport so i think there is a a good relationship there and and recall as well that many people had assumed that andretti autosport would be a honda team when competition came back in next year or i'm sorry it came back in last year so it wouldn't be a stretch to see andretti make that uh, make that switch back to honda i don't think
1: well i think they'll definitely have to turn them down for that to be the case i mean i uh, I would imagine that after the phone calls got made to the the brass at Honda, whenever that decision came down the pipe about Ganassi leaving, uh, I'm sure one of the next phone calls had to have been to Andretti, some someone involved with that team, to uh, start gauging interest and see what they what they needed to do to make a deal happen. And it's got to be attractive to Andretti as well to have that opportunity to be the the standard bearer for for Honda versus being just you know another great team at Chevy where you've already got the other two powerhouses there
0: yeah you know you kind of got to wonder if Andretti felt somewhat slighted at, at Chevrolet this year you know the Andretti's had a much stronger season than than Penske at least I feel they have even though Elio was leading in the points championship all the way up through this weekend but you you've had uh, James Hinchcliffe has has won three races Ryan hunter Ray's won uh one or two races, Marco Andretti's look strong. I think Andretti, certainly in the first, call it half to three quarters of the season, was the strongest Chevrolet team. And yet Chevrolet, I got the sense from the outside that Chevrolet wasn't really happy enough with what they were. They really wanted to bring more folks into the fold. And you just kind of got to wonder if if Andretti felt maybe a little bit slighted by that. Well, you'd think probably couldn't help but be. Yeah. Um,
1: because i I don't think there's any question that they've ran stronger um you know the wins as you've mentioned and they've had a a lot of bad luck i mean the the reason that their guys are down further in points uh marco's the fifth uh you know he's had a couple opportunities where he could have won this year ryan's sixth uh you know he's dominated the two wins that he had uh but he's he's been snake bit this year and uh James Hinchcliffe uh, has got four last place finishes to go with the three first places, you know. So they just had some bad luck that's kept them down the points tally. But I think really from start to finish, though, so far they've been the strongest team pace-wise this year, to, to my
0: yeah. It's hard to argue that. Uh, you know, Andretti's a strong team. Honda's a strong manufacturer. I, I don't see a switch next year. If Andretti does go to Honda, I don't see this being a, a setback for them. I don't see them behind the eight ball. I think they'll be strong out of the gate. I think they've got a good partnership. And I, I don't look for, for either that team nor the manufacturer if this uh, relationship flourishes. I don't see that being a, uh, a hindrance to either of them. I think they'll both be strong in 2014. Nah, I agree completely. All right, let's move on to the Houston weekend. Um, you know, as Tony DeZino said in his piece on uh, NBC Motorsports Talk today, this was truly a case of the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of what IndyCar had to to, uh, to had to offer. So, uh, you know what? Let's just get the ugly out of the way first. Let's let's not try to sugarcoat things. Um, for all the great action we saw on track, it seemed everything that didn't involve the cars on track just was wrong this weekend from the very outset tell us from from being on site this weekend what was the flow of the event how did did, did it just start off like you knew something wasn't going to go well this weekend
1: it did uh, I, I was walking across the bridge by the turn one grandstands uh, as the first uh, prelly world challenge practice was wrapping up and they, they were the first cars on track on friday and uh looking at my schedule i see them come off track and we notice there's no noise and uh you know 15 20 minutes go past where there's supposed to be a session out there we're not hearing anything we're not seeing anything and go walking out and of course see uh beau barfield and and the four cliffs and you know setting up the chicane out there and uh it just it just got off to a bad start right off the bat uh we were told through the grapevine that uh one of the World Challenge cars actually broke a control arm going over the bump, yeah. and uh, that's what uh, kind of raised the attention uh, there to that. Now, I want to I want to take a second to let folks know. I know there was a lot of questions about the bump and how they didn't know about it going in. What happens at Reliance Stadium? Uh, we have basically a dome with a retractable roof there where the Texans play. There's a natural grass field that the Texans play on, but the roof is closed throughout the week. So they actually palletize the field and and forklift the entire field out into the parking lot where it's watered and sits out in the sunlight like your grass in your yard would during the week so that it stays alive and fresh and everything. Well, what we were told was that section, and I know from having driven past there in the past, it, it was true, that section of turn one is where that field is normally housed at. So that's one of the last things that they moved, uh, as since they were on a short time schedule, one of the last things they moved was the field uh, as they relocated it to another area. So they didn't have time to identify uh, that bump. And it was, it was pretty substantial. Uh, I tweeted out a few pictures from on scene, and I uh, know cell phone cameras don't do it justice, but uh, it, it, it was it was one you could see with the naked eye that it was going to be a problem.
0: So, now, now just so so I, I think listeners probably are aware of this, the typical construction time period for a, a street course, say uh, St. Petersburg or, or Long Beach, we, in, in the quote-unquote media that we are, often will get press releases from some of these tracks saying you know, the first concrete barrier has been laid and, and kind of have an outline of their construction period that usually takes four to six weeks to build these tracks. The folks in Houston put this track together in under, what, five days is my understanding, correct?
1: Yeah, first, uh first Facebook pictures I saw from Grand Prix Houston showing track construction was on Monday. Uh, it's a monumental undertaking. I mean, I, you got to give them credit for that under – you know, there's things you can't give them credit on. But with the time frame they were given, uh, which is due to the Reliance Stadium lease and the Texans and the NFL and scheduling and all that stuff – uh, I mean, they got that track put together really quick, but the unfortunate byproduct of that was that there wasn't enough time, there wasn't enough inspection done of the site to identify. Because like I said, this this bump, was it was pretty obvious that an open-wheel car as low as they ride was, was not going to handle it well, especially with it being in a little left-hand sweeper.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, John, how old is that whole Reliant, I guess, park complex. Was it all part of the original Astrodome complex before, or was it kind of scabbed on in bits and pieces over the years?
1: A, a little bit of it was scabbed on. Uh, you know, Obviously, a lot of the parking that's there w- was there already uh, as the Astrodome. Uh, the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo is out there every year, so some of the other buildings are out there. Uh, that is a huge event. It's a month-long rodeo all kinds of shows, concerts. I mean, there's there's just a, a litany of different things that that happen out there. But uh, when Reliant came in and built Reliant Stadium, there were some uh, some buildings renovated and then new buildings built uh, as well. So, uh, and, and I know Tony mentioned that as well. Uh, to someone who's not there every year. Uh, going to Texans games, it's very confusing because everything's Reliant something. It's Reliant <laughs> Center, Reliant Stadium, Reliant Arena, the Reliant Astrodome, you know, the Reliant Men's Room. It's it, everything there's got Reliant slapped on it. So, I can only imagine. It, it took me a while to find where I needed to pick up my media passes on uh, on that Thursday, and I know where I'm going out there. And so I can only imagine the folks that came in. And, uh, you know, we're looking at Reliant and looking at another building that says Reliant. Well, I'm just going to go in here. Oop, wrong one. All right, we'll go down to this building that says Reliant. Oop, wrong one. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't, wasn't the best setup.
0: Yeah, I think there are certainly a lot of people that use terms such as center or arena or, uh, you know, stadium or, or all of these different terms that they often get used interchangeably. I don't think a lot of us from outside the Houston area are uh, – necessarily used to having to use those terms correctly and specifically to pinpoint a certain building within a you know eyesight of each other you know oh no that's Reliant Arena that's Reliant Center that's Reliant Stadium all within the confines of Reliant Park
1: you know it's actually a very handy layout but I've never seen anything like it at at any other stadium Uh, that i've been to i mean it's good in a way but it is very confusing and even if you're from here it takes you a little while to figure out uh some of the parking lots and and the uh the building names and everything because there's not much differentiation in them and uh reliant arena and reliant center have almost the same facade on them as well so i mean it's it it'll really you can't even describe like a color on a building to somebody else i mean you've almost just got to show them on a map hey you need to go right there yeah that's the arena you know just just trust me that's the arena And
0: so you know this isn't the first time that indycar has had issues at some of these street tracks where where issues that to the outsider it seems they should have been addressed previously. We had the issue at, at Detroit a couple years ago where the, the, the track actually peeled up. We didn't have any issues like that and, and really once they resolved the logistical issues and put the Indy cars on track things went fairly well. I, I, I think most agree to that sense although Elio I guess would probably disagree after he <laughs> cracked his transmission housing during, uh, during race number two. Um, but how much of a how much does this give IndyCar a black eye going forward to some of these these street races you you've seen Baltimore. they've had the huge issues a couple years ago when when the cars showed up and all of a sudden they're taking flight over the uh, over the uh, the light rail tracks again we had we had Detroit a couple years ago now we've had Houston with these logistical nightmares. Does it give the IndyCar series a black eye in general, do you think? yes i mean
1: there's really no other way to say it i mean when something keeps happening and i know there's different circumstances each time but when it just continues to happen and so then you get out somewhere and like we were uh, there at houston this week when you start seeing the tire canes come out and you just you go oh crap here we Mm -hmm. go again you know and you just get that sinking feeling here we go again And, and i thought i thought the Baltimore was my first thought when I saw the chicane come out. Uh, you know, other people referenced Detroit. And, and, the, and the thing is, they knew this race was coming. And I understand, and, and I've explained or tried to explain better for the folks that, that don't know about the field. But that said, that field two weeks ago when I was sitting there for the Texans game wasn't in that parking lot. So somebody could have been out in that parking lot looking. I mean, that that there, there's excuses, but they're bad excuses. You mm-hmm. know, if you had a year since this thing's been announced, you should know your you should know your track layout and whether it's going to be okay or not. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like the the Baltimore event. I, I, and I heard Johnny O'Connell talk on it on an American Le Mans Series uh, telecast. Why do we pave over one racetrack, but or one railroad track, but we can't pave over the other one? You know, wh- why do we have to keep having these same issues just continue to pop up? So, as much as I want to give them a pass, uh, that was something I talked with Tony on Twitter about today, about you know in in the fog of being a local i wanted everything to go good so i've been looking for silver lining on a lot of this Mm -hmm. stuff because this is my home race i don't i don't want people to not want it to come back here i selfishly want this race to be here and be a success but but that said we got to we got to do a better job Uh, just the the indycar as a as a company is just just starting now they just got to start doing a better job on these and be more prepared coming in you know
0: you it, it leads you to wonder what type of oversight does IndyCar have um, prior to going to these events in the terms of track inspection. You know, not only street courses because we've seen it with ovals before, not as frequently. Um, and, and off the top of my head, I'm drawing a blank with IndyCar oval issues. Uh, right now, but I, I, I seem to recall one or two previously. Certainly not like NASCAR had a few years ago with, uh, at, the, at the Daytona 500 where the track actually peeled up in a somewhat similar manner to what we saw uh-huh. in Detroit. But shouldn't IndyCar have some sort of team that goes and inspects a track you know, a week, ten days, two weeks in advance of, of any of these events? Now, granted, again, we, we run into the issue at Houston that this track didn't even exist a week ago. Um, but you know maybe that's part of the problem was, was IndyCar wrong to allow that type of, of track construction well
1: I'll tell you it, what makes it I, I'm more forgiving of a Baltimore situation where you're in Inner Harbor and it's it's understood that you're not going to be able to shut it down and put a lights car out there and, and wing it around Inner Harbor on a regular Tuesday Reliant Park is a street course in name only. It is a parking lot. You know, it's we're running it on a parking lot. Any day that there's not a Texans game there, you could access 85% of that track with no one else out there, and you're inside a gated facility. You know, have somebody let you in, and then like I said, then the field gets moved. You know, every time there's a home game, so you could have looked at that part of it as well. So, again, as much as I would like to find an excuse for the home event here and find that silver lining, there, there's really no excuse with it being a parking lot course to, to have that kind of issue pop up.
0: Yeah, and I hope that Derek Walker and his team, and you know, I, I saw some people blaming Bo Barfield for for some of the events of this weekend. Maybe I don't understand the the IndyCar org, org chart and the organizational structure, I don't think this falls to Bo Barfield as the race director. Um, maybe my understanding is that this would fall more, and and this is just going to get the pitchforks out. This is because <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. This I would think would fall more under Brian Barnhart's uh, as director of operations, and 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 Derek Walker's sort of realm than than Bo Barfield. Agree? Disagree? You know, I agree, and I, and I saw a piece
1: that uh, that uh, Marshall Pruitt did. Uh, where he talked with Derek and got some good answers, and and uh, you know I know that's been raised by a few folks that the fact that Derek Walker wasn't there, uh, obviously that's a agreement that they already had in place. Uh, but still, I don't think you can throw it all. Uh, Bo Barfield has has become a whipping boy here, much like Barnhart was before him, and uh, and we seem to just kind of find that one convenient person
0: to mm. try to railroad
1: for everything. When the fact is, this is a a uh, a you know a professional racing series. There's got to be oversight. There's got to be more people. I won't name his name because uh, as I was sitting there taking some pictures, uh, I was by one of the IndyCar officials while they were setting up the chicane the first time. And uh, we were over there chatting with the whole Montreux safety team through the fence. Uh, they were sitting in the truck uh, blocking something off for a forklift. And the IndyCar official laughed. And says, well, yeah, you know, we are a professional racing series, and then just dies laughing, and they're all laughing about it, <laughs> you know. So they're even in on the joke at this point, and it's just with that many people, and you're running a professional organization with this much money involved, this many teams, this many fans that pay money, this many racing series, whatever it is that's the problem, they've got to get it addressed, and it sounds callous, but you just it just got to do better.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I've heard that about Derek Walker not being on site as well. I don't know that Derek Walker not being physically on site led to any of these these issues. Derek Walker wasn't going to get out there and personally be the one responsible for, for inspecting the track and, and, and making sure everything flows well. Derek Walker's job, in my opinion, is to get the series to that point. And then the, his designated officials are the ones that at the track should be taking over well that's the thing and him and bobo they're they're supervisors in a sense
1: and and they've got guys underneath them that have got a got a job to uh check over some part you know everybody has their their position their thing that they're going to check on and report back and you know i don't know if that's where the failure is or or what but you know ultimately they're the ones that get the blame but Something's being missed on the levels below them, and, and they're they're just the easy whipping boy for us. But something's being missed before it gets to their level.
0: I would agree. I, I think that's that's a very fair point. And let's let's leave that point there. Let's uh, so that that covers at least the, the bad. Uh, let's skip the ugly for for right now, just to keep things somewhat chronological, and, and, and talk about some of the good stuff that happened. Because really, once once the cars got on track. I thought the track actually produced some really uh, some good racing. There was a lot, several good passing opportunities. I thought uh, the drivers, for the most part, behaved themselves very well. I I didn't see I didn't see any real serious bonehead moves through the weekend. I uh, plenty of passing opportunities on a, on a track that is as short as it is. One point seven miles, I think, has probably got to be the shortest road course on this or the shortest street course on the series have to think about that um, if not it's real close it's got to be real close but you know from a from a cars on track standpoint as a fan i enjoyed what i saw over the weekend i was i was very pleased with the racing Every, all the fans that i talked to uh,
1: you know i got a lot of friends here obviously who are into cars into racing who went to the event they all liked it uh, obviously at a road course you get the restricted views but with it being a short course and especially once the field gets strung out, at least every minute with the times that Power and Dixon were running there towards the end, you're seeing cars coming back around. So there was a fairly steady flow of cars for fans. Uh, the drivers had expressed some, some reservations about being able to pass uh, earlier in the week, and, and the feeder series guys kind of stuck to that. But the the Indy cars, I don't know if it was the, you know, the higher horsepower they have or downforce levels or what, but uh, we saw a lot of passes into turn three. A lot of passes into turn six. Uh, and, and throughout some other places, I believe it was turn eight that was uh, right-hander going back there, uh, mm-hmm. uh, where Simona and Graham and uh, mm-hmm. one other driver got into it. You know, and, and and obviously that was a move that didn't work, but we saw passes completed there quite often too. Mm-hmm. And for a street circuit to have th- what turned out to be three really good passing zones, that's all you can ask for on a street circuit. Uh, we don't normally see that. There it was definitely a few, not a parade.
0: I call it more like three and a half because I think there were quite a few passes going into turn one as well, going into that first chicane. That I, mm-hmm. I I'm not. I guess I would have been turn two, maybe. Uh, I think.
1: E- it, yeah, the, the yeah. drivers kind of referred to it as turn one, so you're yeah. right there. The, the the turn one as they had it marked on the track is, is
0: big kink in the uh, middle where the big bump kink. You know,
1: yeah. uh, without the bump, it would have been an easy flat for them, and I think they were still taking it flat right. through there, but. No, the, the, the racing itself uh, was really good, and uh, that's why I just hated to see so many other things pop up. And, it's again, it's just that, you know, where we shoot ourselves in the foot because nobody is putting on better racing than the IndyCar series right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, ac- across the tracks that we race on, there is close, tight, hard-fought racing every week. And if we could just focus on that, Instead of all the other stuff that just continually pops up that, that has to be looked at, uh, you know, it's 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 just frustrating because it, the racing has has been so good.
0: Yeah, as as Jenna Fryer put in her article, you know, all the all the good stuff, and and then there's the bad stuff that goes with it. And as she said, that's just so IndyCar. <laughs> yeah. So and well, let's let, let's let's jump into to some of the racing here itself. Let's let's look at uh, we'll start with race one on Saturday. Um, obviously story one, uh, what was Elio Castroneva's struggle? He, he had trouble in qualifying, was really just never able to get going during the race and then had the issue, uh, with his transmission cluster, uh, very disappointing race, which was just part of a bigger disappointing weekend. Story one B certainly though had to be Simona De Silvestro coming home second in that race. What, tell us about what, what you came away from that race with with uh with simona's run well she she just continues to
1: impress uh is on the on the road and street courses you take the conditions that we had uh you you had uh you know male drivers talking about the heat guys getting blisters on their hands you know all the things that if 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 some you know sexist hater was going to say she wouldn't be able to succeed because of this you know because because of the heat and humidity you know b- because of the roughness of the course and all that and sh- and she outdrove all those guys it was really funny because scott dixon made a uh, a comment and he didn't mean it this way but he was talking about going through turn 10 that uh he was taking it like a girl because he, he was saying he was backing out a little, little quicker than he should have been out of turn 10 and uh they asked him about it on the second day and James Hinchcliffe, uh, you know kind of intoned in hey there was a girl on the podium yesterday you know <laughs> and uh, and she wasn't there by strategy she wasn't there by luck she was there by pure race pace i mean she just passed her way up to the front and that, that was a very very impressive drive.
0: yeah sir, a phenomenal drive by her obviously career best beats her uh, i guess did she have a podium previously or was fourth place her best a couple of years ago at, at- it may have
1: been fourth because I thought she had may have had a third. I thought she'd been on a podium, but I seem to recall reading that that was her first podium. So I guess maybe she had dropped back to fourth at uh, I believe it was St. Pete, and uh, maybe one other place as well.
0: So uh, and then next to her on the podium is Justin Wilson for Dale Coyne. I mean, all of a sudden, Dale Coyne and Justin Wilson look like a team, and and I never thought I'd say this about a Dale Coyne car. They look like a team that can win every weekend,
1: at Justin, least on the road
0: and street courses, anyway. Yeah, and
1: and they've got a win on the oval last year. I mean, it, it, he Justin Wilson punches above his weight, better than he, I, I think he's just very very underrated. On uh, uh, it's just so impressive. I mean, he's sitting fourth in the points in a Dale Coin Racing entry, <laughs> and Dale Coin has three wins now and he's got two of them
0: and the, uh, no he has all three doesn't he wait I know
1: Mike Conway got the one
0: you're the right you're court. right you're right. but his
1: first right, first right. two the the only two that he had up to that point were were Justin at mm-hmm. uh, Watkins Glen and, and Texas right.
0: you
1: know uh, the, the guy how he manages to never have a ride with a top team is beyond me but I'm but I'm so glad to see him doing good there at, at Dale Coin. They seem to be putting the stuff around him. Uh, him and his engineer seem to be clicking, and uh, they're a threat. You're going to have to go beat him every week, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, if I had a, you know an extra bajillion dollars falling out of my pockets here, it's hard to think of somebody that I would want on my team more uh, than Justin Wilson, than then you think of the guys that, that seem to be the journeyman type, so to speak. I think you look at Justin Wilson, you look at Oriol Servia, those are the two guys that, that, for whatever reason, continue to produce results after results and yet still can't seem to get that that stability in their career. Uh, but, but seeing Justin Wilson and Dale Coyne, as you said, now sitting fourth in the points, I mean, it, it, if anyone even suggested they had Justin Wilson in their top five for points at the end of the year, you're lying. There's just no way anyone saw that coming, and it's no. just it's a testament to, to Wilson and the and the team that Dale Coyne has put together there on the on the 19 car.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's nothing else you can say. It's been pretty pretty impressive, really, what he's done with the uh, with the 18, with the amount of drivers that they've they right. funneled in through there. And they they've had a few a uh, few issues here and there, but uh, you know everybody has this year. But uh, I mean, it's it, it's 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 really good to see and uh, justin he's, he's a true pro and uh like i said I, I don't know how he's managed to to not fall into a higher profile ride at, at some point in his career because he's definitely shown that he wants this uh you know doesn't complain he's not one of the one of the whiny drivers he goes out and does his job he makes the best of what he's got uh you know you can pretty much figure that whatever his car finishes that day is about the best it could have done And he's not going to make a whole lot of mistakes out there. Right.
0: Speaking of Justin Wilson, we'd be remiss if we didn't again acknowledge Justin his contributions to us. Justin so graciously donated uh, his his race worn Toronto uh, boots and and gloves. He donated those to us uh, as part of an auction to raise money for the Dyslexia Institute of Indiana that were uh, that 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 we uh, partnered with over the weekend. Um, so we certainly want to acknowledge Justin and his contributions for that, and thank him for, for, uh, for graciously donating those items. Absolutely, I made somebody work for those gloves too because I wanted those so bad. <laughs> uh, fourth place, Simon Pagano. Another great run for him. Simon is, is, I, I guess he's fifth in points now. No, third. He's third in points, just third, outside, yeah. just outside of a chance to to uh, go for the championship this weekend. But again, somebody I don't think most people probably had in their top three for points at the at the beginning of the year. No, I didn't. Uh, I, I, be honest, I didn't think he would do well enough
1: on the ovals to, mm. to to maintain a position up that high. You know, he's one of the first guys I, I picked him picked him to sweep the weekend. Uh, you know, obviously I, I was off base there. Uh, but you know that's how much I think of his street course skills. But uh, he's he's really opened eyes on the ovals and been a very consistent uh, and fast driver on the ovals this year too. And uh, another team that uh, uh, well, I say punching above their weight. Maybe they're maybe they're heavier than we thought. But uh, he he's done a very good job this
0: year. Yeah, I, I, I thought there was a chance Simon might win a race this year. I didn't expect him to win two races and be a solid contender pretty much at all of the road and street courses or come home third in the points, which he has a chance to do. Speaking above their, their, their punching above their weight class and settling into a nice rhythm, Joseph Newgarden, another top five finish on Monday in what had to be one of the best-looking cars of the season. Oh,
1: that, that livery. And... If it's possible, it looked better in person than it even did on TV. That was a beautiful car. Just who, Whoever came up with that scheme at uh, Sirfish Hartman Racing, kudos to you, because that car was beautiful.
0: Now, did we hear 500 man hours to get that car painted?
1: Yes, I believe I heard that on the, on the, on the telecast. Uh, uh, it, it, and it showed. I mean, it, it was... Um, it was just a gorgeous car. My wife got some really good photos of it. I made sure to tell her to get some photos of New <laughs> Gardens' car because <laughs> it, it was just that that good looking. And another their team PR and uh, Kyle O'Gara were, were tweeting out that uh, this is what happens when you have a pretty car because all the Texas cheerleaders showed up for a photo <laughs> op with, the, <laughs> with New Gardens'
0: car. Aye, uh, yeah, aye, yeah. aye. All right. Uh, let's see. We, we've gone through most of the, the the good news, I guess. We we kind of skipped over Scott Dixon because him winning on the street course is kind of becoming old news. Uh, not only winning, got the uh, you know led the most laps, just pretty much dominated that race. He was in a class of his own, especially after Will Power got hung out to hung out to dry on a on a pit stop mid race. Now here's a question I have for you. I I don't come from a road racing background, and this is where I kind of I miss Steph here, but. My understanding, and maybe this is just the oval racing side of me, but there was always a theory about pit stops, was first in, first out. You always wanted to be the first one in, and somehow you'd end up cycling around, and you end up, you'd come out first if you were in a battle.
1: Yeah. Now,
0: I, I understand the reasoning of trying to go that extra lap, kinda, I guess, for, for willpower, but... It, if your power, especially if you're in second place and you feel you're being held up in any way whatsoever, and you know the consequences of getting caught out on a yellow flag, why are they pushing so hard to go an extra lap or two beyond Dixon when they're already in their pit window to make it to the end of the race?
1: That's the thing. If you're you're in your window, you know, and, and that aside, if, you, if you're in the window, and you know you can make it, get down pit road, give him some new tires, and make sure that if something screwy happens or the caution comes out, that that your pace. And I've and I've seen it with this team a couple of times. It's like the the mid Ohio race where they shot themselves in the foot by trying to run a fuel strategy from the word go, and and the race turns out green, and about two thirds of the way through, they go, oh crap, uh, you know, start pushing and uh he, he has led 14 of the 18 races that we've won run this year and has two wins to show for it so you know the bad luck bad strategy and bad i don't know what else has, has cost him untold number of wins this year so i i really i, I don't have any answer for you on, on the pit stop there because if he's in the window they should have should have tried to come in yeah. Of course hindsight's twenty twenty, And I'm, I'm not on the payroll so.
0: Far be it for either of us To, to second guess Tim Sindrick or, <laughs> or Roger Penske Or you know anyone on that team But it, it just seems like a, Quite a gamble it, you know, it, it, There seem to be strategy issues there Whether it's in the race Or in qualifying We've seen it happen a couple of times On qualifying Where they, they wait and they wait And they wait and they wait And then they get hung out And, and we see it again time and time again, and we wonder why they keep doing it. It it seems like they're out-strategizing themselves from this championship in some way. Yes,
1: and and, and that was what I kind of ran it on that at the mid-Ohio race. If you've got willpower, and uh, him and Scott, and I think Hinchcliffe, the last day were the only three to break under the one-minute mark, willpower in these cars has got pace to, to match or beat any driver out there. And I don't know why they don't just just turn him loose, let him run hard every race. You're going to win more than you lose, uh, you know. For the for the couple that that might, uh, uh, you know, strategy might not work out your way. I'd rather take my chances with willpower, with a heavy right foot instead of instead of trying to overthink him because he's so quick. Mm-hmm. You know, just just turn him loose and let him go. You know, that said, of course, you know, if you let me run the race on DVR, I would be one hell of an engineer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. Very. So that's
1: true. that's my mea culpa to Tim Sindrick there as I uh, uh, second guess him to death here on the show.
0: Well, certainly we would we would welcome anyone who who has a more vast road racing knowledge than either John or myself. If you understand the strategy of why you would want to wait out another lap, feel free to make a comment on on the uh, on the site there. Kind of give us a little explanation because without Tim Sindrick here or somebody. Uh, that's much more versed in road racing. John and I are just kind of, uh, shooting, shooting in the dark here. So, uh, somebody drop us a line. Let us know what the typical reasoning of that would be. Alright, the, uh, the, 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 the bad part, I guess, from, from race one, of course, was the start. Ugly. Ugly, ugly, ugly. You had the aborted start, uh, because, uh, Charlie Kimball didn't get off the line. And then when you did get the start, you had the accident with Carpenter and Hinchcliffe. To me, I was watching about the fourth replay. It, I, it, I finally saw it. It looked like Tristan Vautier kind of cut right in front of Carpenter from the very beginning. Uh, as soon as he launched, cut in front of Carpenter. Uh, as they came up on the stalled car of Hinchcliffe, Votier took evasive action extremely late, which I think is what swiped him into the wall a little bit. He kind of went right, kind of uh, fish uh, tank slapped the wall. And then Carpenter just didn't have time to respond. Now Carpenter, I would have thought somebody would have been in his ear saying, "Hey, there's a car that you're coming up upon very quickly stalled right in front of you. You might want to take action." Um, Absolutely. But and, uh, but I don't I don't lay this all on the feet of Carpenter, saying that he was just uh, negligent and and you know he should have known, should have been able to see this car stopped ahead of him.
1: Yeah, but you'd think somebody would be on him, and you know now I do have some some club racing experience on on standing starts and if you're at the back you know i don't know why you're not kind of getting offline uh you because you know there's a good possibility you could have a stalled car in front of you when you're starting shotgun on the field you know pull out left or right give yourself a little bit of room if you're coming up on one but i'm surprised i was shocked to see him hitting uh because i would have figured a crew member would have been hollering at him and had him on the brakes uh, by then but my main takeaway from this, and it contributed to a lot of the yellows on, on day two, is, man, make onboard starters on these cars happen. I, I don't care how much they weigh or what it takes. If they're all on the same car, it's the same
0: weight.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it's ridiculous to me that we don't have onboard starters on these cars. I, I, I don't understand in the spec series where we can control everything, and it's going to add the same amount of weight to everybody's car why we can't make that happen
0: yeah we're seeing a lot of full course cautions to retrieve cars that you know granted some of these issues with killing the car could be uh, as a result of the hand clutch my understanding is it's very difficult to get these cars into reverse I'm certainly not going to opine whether that's true or not having never driven one but I'll give these professional drivers the benefit of the doubt here that, you know, if they're stalling them a lot, that it probably is some sort of some very difficult. Well, the, that's
1: in. the thing. I mean, these guys have been racing in their whole lives, and they've been doing stand starts in other series, in the feeder series, so it's not like they haven't done them. Right. And to, to be stalling the cars like this, you know, something's up with these cars. I know on day two, uh, I don't think it made it on TV, but uh, uh, after Ed had stalled, uh and brought out a full course caution i was over there in the pits getting some photos as uh they were trying to get him going and i think the clutch had actually had just given out on his car because they couldn't get it to engage back in gear mm-hmm. uh, they tried for like 10 minutes on pit road they tried pushing him you know they they refired him six or seven times before they eventually just pulled him off because they just couldn't get the car it just wouldn't go back in gear
0: well what happened to the anti-stall software that they were supposed to be developing for these. It's weird. Every once in a while, about once every three or four races, there'll be an issue that comes up where a guy can't, either the engine won't, uh, they won't be able to get in another gear, the engine will be stuck in some in some mode or another, and they'll blame it on the anti-stall. How come nobody, why does the anti-stall always kick in while the guy's still moving, but when the guy's stalled on the side of the track, the anti-stall seems to disappear?
1: It, it's a it's a mystery to me i, I don't understand it, it, it's causing more issues than it should mm-hmm. and i know these cars aren't formula one cars but how often do you see those guys stall one and they've got hand clutches you know and i know they're more expensive and obviously you know somebody's gonna tell me hey well if we put a two million dollar part on there it, it would work just fine but <laughs> there's got to be some answer before it gets to that price level to get these cars you know because these guys are pros and 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 they're good. If they're having all these issues, you know, you can't beat the computer. If, if the electrical is getting you, those guys don't have anything they can do with that. And we heard a lot about the anti-stall, and I haven't heard much about it lately. So I, I, don't, know,
0: I, I don't know what the deal is on that. It seemed like there was a driver at a road course recently. I want to say maybe like Ryan Hunter-Ray at Sonoma or something. I, I don't know if that's either, even the driver or the track, but for some reason that sticks in my mind that he had had some sort of issue with the anti-stall, um, where he couldn't get it back in gear or the engine was cutting out. Something something that you, they wouldn't have expected the anti-stall to kick in in that situation. But yeah, like you say, how many times did it seem like that first race, every time the camera changed view, they found Elio Castroneva spun out, or Ed Carpenter, or somebody down in turn three every time. So. You know, hopefully, hopefully, maybe in the off season they'll they'll get that situation working correctly. Uh, who knows? I, I certainly hope
1: so. Because, like I said, I mean, it's a spec series, so as long as everybody's got the same thing on their car, we're all good. So, I mean, to to my way of thinking, no matter how much weight it adds or yeah. whatever else, just just make it happen because everybody's going to have to run it.
0: Right. All right, I think we've beaten race one to death. Let's go <laughs> to uh let's go to race two. Um Race two qualifying was rained out, so... <laughs> oh, good to grief. Okay, so race two <laughs> qualifying rained out, we're going to line up by points, not championship <laughs> points. points. We're going to line up by interim points, which means that Scott Dixon uh, would be on pull because of the 15-point the, the penalty to Elio Castro following the Texas infraction. So we go through, the press release goes out. Scott Dixon goes through the media center as the poll winner. He puts the Verizon P1 award on his car. Oops. <laughs> Take it over, John. What happens? Yeah.
1: Oops is kind of what was said in the media center. Remember we heard that? Because that was, that was just one of those, you got to be kidding me. And, and we felt bad for Amy having to come up and, and announce it. You, know, you could just kind of see the look on her face as she walked up there to grab the mic with her rule book out. And, uh, and reads off, you know, 8.1 point something, point something, dash something, point something, you know, that uh, it's entry points for the event, and that started before we got here. So race one did not count towards that, so Elio Castroneves come on down. Now you're the pole sitter. Uh, now at least they didn't trot him through for media availability at that point, but uh, – uh, we were all laughing, saying, man, somebody get to Dixon's trailer right now if you want a good quote. Cause, <laughs> uh, as much problems as he's had uh, with the brass here lately, I'm sure he had some choice words after that.
0: Well, I, you know, to Dixon's way of thinking, I guess, I, I don't know if starting first versus starting second is was that big of a deal to him. Uh, obviously, it didn't turn out to be a big deal uh, because of the issues faced by by Elio Castroneves during the race but if you're starting on the first row or the second row I think where Dixon was more upset not necessarily not starting on the pole but I think he thought that that Elio Castroneves didn't quite have the car to start that far up forward this weekend so if they would have had to go through qualifying I think he thought Elio was probably going to have a a 10th place start or somewhere in that magnitude than starting on the pole so it was more of a a bonus advantage for elio that scott would have been upset about as opposed to the disadvantage uh that, that scott faced by starting second i don't know yeah. that i don't know that he was necessarily upset about uh, the swap between pole and second i think he was more just disappointed that that qualifying in general was washed out yeah well no he made a comment uh he,
1: he did say something later on about yeah i figured uh I would be starting last by the time they got done. So that, that was his <laughs> one little jab that he got in as he came in. Uh, but you know, he made mention that that he uh, he wished they would have set it off a of qualifying from the day before. And at that point, I didn't even broadcast that out at the time because, again, that's kind of where we get in a hole sometimes. If we voiced too many of these complaints in some situations, you know, that that sounds great, but that's not the rule either. Yeah. You know, and that, that would have benefited you so of course you want it that way and and hey if i if i was racing and i'd had the fast car i'd be i'd be saying this, it's the same thing I'm, I'm not faulting him in any way for saying that but we're just kind of hoping and wishing if we get up there and start saying stuff like that and you know and then somebody gets it and runs with it and, well why didn't we do this or why didn't we do that well the, the rule was in there the problem was once again they they made an announcement before Double checking. My understanding was they didn't double check with the competition department before they made the announcement that that Scott was on pole, and then somebody, probably Roger Penske, brought it to their attention that, uh, hey, check out you know check out this section of the rule book. Oops, you know here we go. Let's let's swap it over. So that was another little black eye on the weekend.
0: Right, and it's not the first time this season that we've seen rules. That have been altered or somewhat tweaked to account for the doubleheader weekend. You know, we had the situation in Toronto with Dario Franchitti and his tire usage there, with some you know some alteration to the rule book for these doubleheader weekends that either wasn't publicized or the, even the people involved didn't really understand the rule and how it had been tweaked for the doubleheader weekend. So, they, I think. IndyCar, I think, needs to do a better job of making sure information gets out that addresses some of these rules. What's different between a doubleheader weekend and a typical race weekend? The tire usage is different. Obviously, the fact that entrant points don't get updated after race one of a of an event. You know, what are some other changes? We don't know. There might be other changes to doubleheader weekends as well. So, um, yeah, you know,
1: and so. and that's one of the things. You know, get get ahead get ahead of the story anticipate some of these issues you know rain was in the forecast so that was always a chance mm-hmm. you know on on the street circuit that it could that it could pull up uh, which is you know why they called it now it's it's debatable on whether or not they should have ran qualifying in my opinion because they ran the feeder series directly before and directly after you know open wheel cars on the same track so you know I kind of would have liked to seen them qualify mm-hmm but that said, you know, like I said, anticipate some of these issues, get clarifications out there to the team, to the media, so that, so that, you know, if the team, if a team member wants to gripe later on, well, no, we knew about that. You know, they they told us last week, remember? You know, and, and then it's out there, and you're ahead of it, and it doesn't come off as a black eye. Uh, people may not agree with it going in, but at least they can say, hey, you're prepared, and and uh, and we we knew this was the deal. We may not agree with the deal. But we knew this was the deal.
0: So. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. They need to get out in front of some of these, these events, and, and you know, if you're going to have a doubleheader with a different set of rules for that weekend, you know, maybe there needs to be some sort of you know formal dissemination of here's all the rules that are different from a doubleheader weekend, and everyone knows going into it. Okay, this one there's you know a snowball's chance in hell that we're going to have to put up with this, but you know. In the end, it's on paper. People know what it is, um, and, and and the way things are going with the IndyCar series these days, the most unlikely event is still likely to happen. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The,
1: yeah, standing start on race two.
0: Yeah, but which? Where did that even come from? I mean, that talk about <laughs> yeah. you know, and this is one of the things that that people have talked about making up things as you go. W- when was this decided? Was this a, as a result of? not only the standing start of race two, but the single file starts, restarts through the entire weekend. Was this solely a result of the bump in turn one and the issues that the, that the track had with that?
1: Uh, that's my understanding. Uh, I know on the single file restarts that that's what it was. And my guess, I never received any clarification. Uh, me personally uh, as to how we came to the conclusion of standing start. We just showed up the next morning and, and Hey, race two is going to be a standing start okay you know uh i mean that's that's the definition of the literal definition of of kind of changing it as as we go along so it's another one of those just little things that in and of itself it's not that huge of a deal but when there's when there's been kind of a pattern and, and you have a you have a reputation it you know it's going to bring out the snark uh, immediately yeah
0: All right, so Will Power bounces back from his uh, disappointing uh, pit snafu, I guess, in race one, wins race two. Uh, Pretty entertaining race, I thought. Dixon gave him a pretty good run for the money, but ultimately I don't think he ever really had anything for him. They kind of got in their their, kind of spitting match at each other, Dixon saying that Will hit him on the restart, Will saying that Dixon checked up on him, End result is Will wins the race, Scott comes away second and has a handy points lead. Scott shouldn't be too disappointed. Uh, third place, James Hinchcliffe bounces back from that aforementioned uh, bad start on in race one. Has a nice comes home third. Looked pretty racy for the first time since oh, I don't know what maybe Pocono, Toronto. I, I <laughs> seems like it's been a while since we've we've talked about James James having a good run again.
1: Yeah, he's he's uh, he's been hot or cold this year. Uh, I mean, it's it's almost literally been records or checkers for him. Um uh, you know, I think he'd probably take it to get three wins, you know, coming into the year looking for his first. He's got three now, but uh it was good to see him uh, back up towards the front. Him watching time and scoring, uh him, Scott, and Will, uh they were throwing some bombs out there. They were consistently under one minute. They were in the low fifty nines. Consistently towards the end of the race, there so they were really pushing, and uh, it was a, it was a good fight up front. Almost had kind of a Formula One feel to me because uh, the uh, fastest lap changed hands quite a few times there towards the end between Scott and Will. Um, like I said, I don't think Will or Scott had enough to to get by Will, but he definitely had enough to uh, to stay on him and press him. And and he made Scott made comments in the media center that uh, he was aware of the championship position. As well, and you know he wanted to win, and he was trying to force a mistake out of Will, but he wasn't going to do anything dumb either. Uh, you know, try some bonsai move just to get that trophy because he's got a bigger trophy in mind. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Well, you mentioned who the the fastest lap going back and forth between Will and Scott and James. You know who actually ended up with the fastest lap of race two? I believe it was Scott,
1: unless somebody else snuck in on me.
0: Someone else uh, snuck in on you, the young well, rookie Luca Felipe. Did he? I did not see that. He ran his fast lap on lap 86 at 59.1215 seconds. So, uh, you know, this is a guy that people are looking at. And, you know, he's really seems to click with that Barracuda Racing entry. And, uh, you know, I, I think they've made it pretty well known that they're, they're, they're kind of down to, to Luca and, and J.R. Hildebrand for their car next year. They would like to be able to run both of them. Everyone, of course, would like to be able to run two cars, but uh, you know, Lucas seems to be a good fit in that. Do you think this could be one of those situations where we see Luca on the on some of the road and street courses, and and Jr. taking most most of the ovals and maybe a, a road or street course here or there? I couldn't fault them for
1: uh, for going that way. I think
0: you'd be playing to uh, both of their strengths,
1: uh, or at least strengths that they've shown. I know, know Jr. has had some success. On road street in the other series but in the indy car series he's you know and whether that's just because he was with panther or not but uh you know it's been mostly oval that he's had success on and uh, luca was uh he was genuinely fast uh, outside i didn't know that he'd had the fast lap till just now but um race one he was racy too i mean uh, you know he had good pace on the week so uh, I haven't seen anything
0: to say he doesn't deserve another shot in the car. Well, you mentioned Panther. Let's jump back up the box score then. We'll we'll skip over Justin for the time being since we already talked about him. Sebastian Bourdais, another good top five. Simon Paginot, again, number six there. Another great run for But Oriol Serbia coming in seventh. I believe this was the highest uh, finish for Panther Racing. Was it Panther Racing on the year or maybe just as Oriol Serbia driving for Panther this year? great to see them have a, a good strong run on the road and street course they really needed it uh for that national guard entry
1: yeah it's just been a rough year for them uh i want to say offhand, maybe briscoe might have bettered that but only by a position or two mm-hmm. you know on one time seems like briscoe had uh, a decent run but it ended up kind of in that same range so that that may have been the best finish for them uh it's been a year that i'm sure john barnes and those guys would would like to forget and uh, just file away um you know, definitely not to to his expectations. But whether his expectations of, of his team are fair or not, uh, you know, he definitely expects more out of them than that.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that's very fair. And, and at current, um, our 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 uh, event summary on morefrontwing com shows Oriol Servia and that. Uh, I guess this would be as driver points. the sitting twenty second in driver points, which would. Uh, uh, 22nd is the cutoff, I think, for the leader circle. But of course, that's done on entrant points. Uh, I do not have a an update on what those entrant points are. But uh, sitting down in that in that pecking order, you hope that the the National Guard team has secured enough points to to uh, to maintain their leader leader circle position. Uh, I, I just happen to notice that looking at the box score here, the Orioles sitting 22nd, but that would of course uh, be lower than than what the Panther panther guys are
1: uh going into the weekend the panther car was 21st in entry points going going into the weekend and i know they had
0: a bad result and a good result so i'm not sure
1: uh, i seem
0: to have recalled in someone's article and i i couldn't tell you if it was marshall pruitt or jenna fryer or, or who exactly wrote the article maybe it's kirk Cavan. Uh, but there was talk about that final leader circle position and i want to say that it was between the seven car uh for dragon racing and the 98 car of barracuda racing uh going for that final entrant position in the leader circle now whether that was post-race saturday or sunday i i couldn't tell you uh if it was obviously the advantage then goes to uh to to the dragon racing folks as sebastian came home fifth and uh Yeah. Well, actually, it's the uh,
1: the six car dragon entry. It's uh, the Savadr. Oh, it is the Savadr entry. Yeah. uh, Coming coming into the weekend, uh, Bourdais was 13th according to my uh, sheet that I've got here in entrant points in in the seven car. And of course, had some had some good results. So it's down to the uh, the true car entry, and then the uh, 98 98 came in three points ahead of the six going into the weekend, and Pretty sure outran him both, both races. Well, let's
0: see. Felipe in race one came home 10th for, uh, let's see, what did he get? 19 points. All right, do some math here for me. Oh, Lord. 20 points for Felipe in, in race one, and then he came home 19th in race two at 11 points. So that's 31 points there. Uh, we look at Saavedra, who came home 14th in race one for 16 points. Uh, actually came home 12th in race two for 18. So he had 34 points. So what did we say on the other one? Thirty-one, so they're tied now. So they're tied for that final position. <laughs> Convenient. Assuming our fly-by-night math operations here on more front wing are are correct. So either way, it's going to be a close battle for that final leader circle position going into Fontana. Um, boy, I, I I don't know who I take in that situation to be honest with you, because uh, neither of them have been especially strong on the on the ovals this year, they they both had a lot of bad luck on both those teams. So. That's that's big money too. You're talking a million dollars towards your a million plus towards your budget in 2014. So it's not a uh, not insignificant by any stretch no. of the imagination.
1: Uh, you know, you talk about a, a fifth of your of your yearly budget, for you know, yeah. for top team budget. Right. Uh, that's that's you're not sneezing at that. That's that's a that's a lot of incentive coming into a a, a long oval race.
0: Totally agree. Totally agree. So. All right, John, we've, we've kind of, we've put it off. We've put it off. We've put it off. We, 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 we can't put it off anymore. Um, we have to address what happened at the end of, of race two at this point. Um, obviously our, our first concern, first and foremost, it, it is not to point blame here, but to wish the very best to, to the spectators that were injured in the final lap accident with Dario Franchitti, Takuma Sato and EJ Viso. Um, and of course, we wish our very best to Dario as well. Uh, Dario, with his uh, the the two fractures in his in his uh, in his back that will not require surgery, uh, the the broken ankle which has had one surgery already, uh, and we understand he's expecting to return to Indianapolis in the next couple of days, where he'll probably likely undergo another surgery by Dr. Trammell there, uh, and his concussion as well that he suffered in that. Uh, the fans, though, you know, the fans should never be put in a position where they could face injury. Obviously, motorsports is always a dangerous sport, uh, and there's risk involved. We've seen that. Um, that said, there are some answers to be found here. Um, I, I guess the, talking about the ugly, let's start with the best part of this, though. Um, the new Delara chassis, the DW12, really performed remarkably in this situation. Uh, we we've seen indie cars unfortunately we've seen them so many times getting into these situations where the cockpit goes into the into the catch fencing. whether you'd look at Davey Hamilton with generation two car uh Texas in 2000 2000 99 2000 forget which year that was I think it was 2000 2000 uh Kenny Breck with generation three down at, at Texas uh of course Dan Weldon uh, Conway at Con- Indy Conway was the other one I was thinking of yeah and, you know, we have all of those with with Generation Three, that the the, the R 03, 05, 07, whichever suffix you want to throw on that car. Uh, in all of those situations, we, we saw major feet and uh, feet and, and lower extremity injuries from from the cars getting up into the fencing. In this case, Dario has a broken ankle, which, in my understanding is, it's probably from. Banging his foot on, on a pedal on on the cockpit on the bulkhead, something internal, but I don't believe there was any penetration into the cockpit by the fencing or any other any other debris. So Delara has to be to, their their safety here has to be raised up, and we we certainly commend them, and and we think of the job that Dan Weldon did in developing this car, and, and we give kudos to Delara for that. No doubt, no doubt. The the ugly part of it is, A, let's figure out what's causing this car in this situation to to ride up into the fence. You know, these wheel pods are supposed to be preventing this wheel lock. What happened there? And then, of course, the whole issue with the fence. What in the world caused the fence, the pole and the mesh, to be extruded so violently and thrown into the stands? Um, There's a lot of questions that need to be answered here, John.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I'll say this one really hit home for me because uh, uh, if anybody's ever had something happen to to loved ones, they know that uh, the sick feeling in the pit of your stomach that you get the day before my wife and uh, four year old son attended their first IndyCar race and were in that grandstand right where the fence came up, uh, you know, so you know for that little split second, my mind would. Trying to, as we saw it unfold on TV, was trying to remember: was this the day that they're here or not? You know, and uh, it was—it was scary to watch. Uh, and uh, you know, there was so much debris. It's amazing there weren't more injuries than there were, because you see some of the photos that are floating around out there. Um, you know, that car disintegrated, and it did a really—it—it it, it did its job in, in protecting Dario. Uh, but the amount of fence and debris and stuff, and carbon fiber pieces. That went through, I'm surprised we didn't have more injuries than we did.
0: Yeah, it's shocking there weren't more. And you've seen some of these home videos, right? I've seen folks listening to this have seen some of the home videos on on YouTube. And what strikes me watching those, obviously the the just destruction of the car and how it explodes and and kind of rains down everywhere. It looks, looks like a bomb's going off. What struck me, though, is how fast it happened. I mean, it literally went from Dario on track until this bomb exploding. It had to be two-tenths of a second, a quarter second. And there there was just no time, literally no time to react. I, and that's what's, what's the, what caught me off guard, seeing some of those videos. You know, we, we watched the, we watched the uh, professional video, I guess, if you will, the NBC feed, and I think we as race fans kind of become used to the speed and we become complacent and we forget really how fast these cars are going. Uh, And a lot of it has to do with the cameras and the zooming in and zooming out and and the pan and focus on these. But when you see these camera shots from from fans on their cell phones from a stationary place in the stands and you see how quickly you see Dario coming at you and then just the, the, the car just disintegrating... You really get a sense of just how fast all this happens and how dangerous uh, this really is.
1: Yeah, there's there's no reaction time. Mean, you see some of the photos that are up, and, and uh, people have cell phone cameras up because they're holding them up to get a picture. You know, trying to take pictures uh, of the cars coming by. And your reaction is going to be to duck. The reason that the, you still see those cameras up in the picture is because their mind literally they haven't had time to even process the oh crap factor of hey there's a car wreck happening and stuff is flying at me and it's already there on them mm-hmm. before they can even before the brain can even process and say Ooh, we need we need to duck you know so it, that's again is why I'm, I'm just shocked and and thankful that uh, that that there weren't worse injuries than there were because it, it's amazing you know carbon fiber and metal and fencing and stuff that uh that, that somebody didn't sustain a, a, a real serious injury right. or
0: worse. now my understanding is uh all all of the all of the spectators there in houston uh, i believe there were two that were injured that required a trip to the hospital i think one or two were there overnight but nothing more than uh uh skin skin wounds cuts scrapes bruises i don't think anyone suffered any uh, broken uh no broken bones, no puncture wounds of of any sort. Is that correct? I, I heard one uh,
1: unsubstantiated uh, there in the media center that that one fan might have had a broken nose. Okay, but other than that, and all things considered, uh, you know, that's uh, that's getting off lucky. Yeah, uh, with with what happened.
0: I mean, you you see the video of the, the fence, and and you know the question of why why was the support and the fence just ripped from the concrete? Barrier, which, from my view, it doesn't look like the concrete even moved. It, it just picked it up. The the Dario's car just picked the poles out right out of the supports and threw them. I mean, there's there has to be some some long and deep questions asked there. About what in the world caused that? We've seen a number of incidents, um, you know, and, and I hate to to bring up the 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 most of the grisly of the incidents, but uh, I think back to Jeff Krasnov's incident in Toronto in 1996 in a crash that wasn't totally dissimilar uh, from from this, and, and, and his car got up into the catch fencing, but you didn't see the catch fencing extruded from the support there. So there's got to be some questions asked and answered. Why was that that fence thrown the way it was? And it is, it's nothing but a miracle that it happened to land um, somewhere in that grandstand where somebody wasn't sitting or standing. My, maybe it may have landed in an aisle i think i heard one person say um but that grandstand looked like it was pretty full so it, for, it
1: was uh it was full uh, it was almost standing room only the first day i know yeah. uh, from talking with my wife and then the second day was pretty full and it wasn't it wasn't a big grandstand it, it was a smaller grandstand but that you know it was a, it was in a popular place it was a good spot to try to get a good photo um actually uh folks that uh, followed up I think I put it on the uh, more front wing Instagram account uh, a picture of the Astrodome and Reliance Stadium I'm actually in that grandstand right where all that happened uh, taking that photo you know so it was a very popular seating position uh, just for the fact that that you know folks that wanted to get photos could uh, could get some, some neat things in the picture that yeah. you wouldn't normally see in a race yeah. car photo
0: absolutely uh, and not only the fence there there was also a flying tire uh, that that unfortunately in the nbc in the nbc view the tire kind of flies over the fence and disappears we don't know what happened to it there and in none of the home videos that i've seen uh can you really see what happened to it um i i don't know what happened to that tire all i know is that it got thrown a long way uh at a very high rate of speed which can do a lot of damage um it's another miracle that, that somebody wasn't hit by that tire as it as it flew to who knows where. Um, but IndyCar has developed systems that, that are intended to prevent those tires from coming loose. So what happened there? We need to know why that failed. Um, you know we, we've seen so many violent accidents on ovals where those tires don't come off. Uh, so why in this situation did that tire? I, I assume the tire was from Graham. I, I I didn't count the tires on the uh, Graham. We're not even get Graham from Dario. <laughs> um, so I, I I don't I don't know. I didn't count the tires on on EJ's car or, or Takuma's to make sure that they were all there. But uh, my assumption, I feel pretty safe saying that tire was uh, was Dario's. Um, yeah, it, it, from my recollection, about. it was his. Both
1: both of his fronts were gone. Uh, you know, everything got ripped off the front of that car. Uh, and I now remember the one that 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 you were talking about. I'm not sure where it actually ended up, but we're real lucky that didn't hit anybody. Because with that kind of weight, uh, even though they're light, you know, quote unquote light racing wheels and tires, um, yeah, that that would not have been good if it had hit somebody.
0: Yeah, that's still a 30 pound projectile.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and moving at that speed, it, uh, uh, it it well, it just it would not have been good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We and of course, open wheel fans are sensitive to that subject as well. If, of tires uh... flying into the stands so you know uh, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered about this incident um, you know a lot of people want to know what what triggered the incident what what happened to takuma that he uh, that he that he lost control of this not that you know i don't want to buy in any way whatsoever uh... point a finger at takuma or place blame on him i think it's truly a racing incident uh, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, there's there's thousands of things that have to come together at the exact wrong moment to make something like this happen, uh, and it, unfortunately they 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 all came together in this instance. But what caused Takuma to to lose control? I've heard that you know he had marbles on his tires. I heard he may have had a puncture. He may have clipped the lawn. There may have been a rear suspension failure.
1: Uh, I had seen something attributed to him that that said he thought he had a rear suspension failure. Uh-huh. Uh huh looking at the video that looked very plausible uh i mean because the way he lost it right through there we didn't have anybody lose it there all week you know just on their own it was a very bumpy part of the track as it all is there but um you know i I could definitely see uh through that section if you had a rear control arm or something let go uh it could have very easily caused what we saw there and then just the timing like you said it was just the exact right angle and speed and closing of those two cars to to launch dario up right into the fence yeah and
0: it's just amazing that the the number of things that have to go in a specific order in a specific time to make something like this happen and uh, i have no doubts that the folks at indycar that 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 Jeff Horton at IndyCar, the director of engineering, the folks at Dallara who make a, not only make a, a, a wonderful tub that kept Dario safe, but they, they strive to improve the safety of their cars constantly. I have no doubt that they'll be looking into the factors of what caused Dario's car to launch uh, and, and figure out safer ways to make these cars, and that that Jeff Horton and Kevin Forbes at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway will continue their efforts in in finding suitable uh uh, fencing for these tracks whether you talk about the permanent facilities of an oval or these temporary tracks at, at, at the road and street courses that need to be set up but I'm sure there will be an investigation IndyCar has already said they're looking into several of these situations to understand better what happened and hopefully IndyCar will will release the results of whatever investigation they, they, they uh, undertake and, and get some answers for us because there's a lot of people that want want some answers to these things and there's a lot of people that deserve answers for these so um, you know certainly we'll look forward to hearing some of these answers from IndyCar hopefully in the not too distant future yeah hopefully so you know fan fan safety uh,
1: the people that come out and pay money so that uh, everybody can go do this that's got to be paramount so uh, um, you know I, I hope uh, hope whatever it is hopefully it's not a negligent deal but it's something that can be addressed but in, in any event I just hope that uh, they get it figured out and uh, we move forward so that whatever it was won't happen again.
0: Speaking of moving forward it's probably a good time for us to do that John. Uh, take After uh, after the race you know obviously the, the news in Houston I think was mostly dominated probably by the, the, the crash there at the finish. Certainly got IndyCar onto several news stations. CNN and NBC News had a story about it as uh, as Ashley Judd's uh, estranged husband was involved, which was uh, disappointing to see, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, well, what's the takeaway from Houston Ben, What's the reaction been, you know, in the days following the event? Positive, kind of meh, or are they excited to have it come back next year? I think for the whole,
1: and of course the media, um, try, try to jump on it, as, as they will. Uh, you know, local media try to, try to jump on the... Uh, the the wow factor of the of the bad wreck there but uh, i think on the whole people were excited people that i talked to had a good time there was a lot of stuff to do uh the racing was good the car guys i know guys that i race with they enjoyed it brought people out people i talked to that that hadn't been to races before enjoyed it may not have really understood what was going on but but there was a lot a lot of uh of uh stuff for the census so they enjoyed it so uh i think there's there's hope uh coming back next year they could do a little better job of promoting it to the to the everyman um good crowds there's still room to sell more tickets there uh there was a huge uh business to business and and sponsor presence so i think from that standpoint i i I think mike and uh again and those guys are going to be very happy with that because uh there there was a huge uh corporate presence there uh, so it seemed to be really re- well received on that end um, shell and pencil spent a bunch of money uh inside reliant arena and around the area advertising having some interactive things for fans so uh, i think on the whole it was a positive takeaway
0: yeah, you mentioned the corporate support. There certainly seemed to be a lot of corporate support, not only from Shell and Pennzoil, but Verizon looked like they had a nice uh, setup there. Uh, did did uh did I see Blue e-cigarettes maybe down there? Yes, they had a uh, they had a
1: big uh, a big sponsor area. Actually, not too far from uh, where we had the stuff happen there in Turn Five, right around the dome. Um, so they had a lot of signage out, a lot of stuff there. ABC Supply, with of course, with it being Floyd's home race, they had a huge uh, corporate area Mm -hmm. out there. Um, So, like I said, from from that standpoint, it seemed to be uh, to to be really well received from those folks.
0: Well, good, good, and like I said earlier, I I I hope the race does well. We know the race is going to return. Uh, I hope it returns long term because I really was entertained by the by the on track action, and hopefully, as they go forward in year two and beyond that a lot of the logistical issues and hurdles uh, uh, that, that they face this year will be, uh, will be exercised, I guess, by, uh, by next year. So let's, let's just talk briefly about the points championship. Scott Dixon, obviously, huge swing. Came in minus, what, 47, 48, leaves 25 uh, ahead of Elio of, of, of now. Just an awful weekend for Elio Castroneves, a fantastic weekend for Scott not totally surprising given what happened at uh, at toronto we knew scott was probably going to be strong this weekend i don't think we expected elio who came in having run every single lap this year to have two mechanicals that basically relegated him to the back of the field
1: that was the shocker for me uh with with the pressure on the line there uh you would've took a lot of money off of me, uh, if we'd have made a bet that uh that the three car would have mechanical issues both days. Elio had a weekend to forget, uh spun a couple times in the first practice on Friday. Terrible race Saturday and even worse race Sunday. Um and at the you know, in a Shell Penzoil car at the Shell Penzoil Grand Prix. So just on all in all in a hole, just a, a weekend I'm sure he'd like to forget. And uh, and nothing short of shocking really i mean after the first day and the issues that they had on saturday i figured that they would rebound very strongly on sunday especially with kind of with the gift of getting to start up front uh, after the day they'd already had the day before uh you know that seemed to be a perfect opportunity for penske racing to be penske racing and capitalize on good fortune like they so often do and uh what well, didn't play out that way
0: no it didn't and i guess you uh you figure Elio kind of got to the front of the of the standings all year long by being consistent and, and having luck go his way and avoiding this bad luck. Maybe it's just the law of averages that said at some point that luck had to run out and it couldn't last the entire way, and that you know the bad luck that other drivers had faced during the year was eventually going to have to be faced by Elio, and lo and behold, here he is. Uh, now he's got a deficit to make up going into Fontana in a couple weeks.
1: Going to be interesting.
0: It will be. It certainly will be. And uh, you know, we'll look forward to it. We'll have uh, staff on site there in Fontana a couple weeks. Um, we're not going to address. We've gone fairly long here already this evening, so we're not going to get into a, much of a Fontana preview. We'll look forward to doing that next week. Uh, so I guess we'll we'll wrap up here for the night. Unless John, anything closing thoughts on Houston that you want to address or anything we didn't uh, cover thus far?
1: Yeah, I feel like we've we've covered it pretty good. Like I said, I, I think the weekend. Uh Racing wise went well and, uh, hopefully they'll learn from some of the mistakes and come back stronger for it next
0: year. Very well, very well. Well, certainly then we'll wrap up here and, and John, I thank you so much not only for joining me tonight, but your excellent coverage along with Steph this weekend there on site in Houston. We really enjoyed, uh, the first, the first hand accounts of both on Twitter, on Instagram, and your stories on, on morefrontwing.com. I appreciate it. I had a blast being there. Great, great. Well, on behalf of John and and Steph, who isn't joining us this evening, I'm Paul Dalby, co-editor at morefrontwing.com, wrapping up for tonight. Please join us again next week as we do uh, preview the, the, the MAV TV 500, the season finale at Auto Club Speedway in Fontana. And until then, if you need IndyCar news and views, remember to get a grip with more Front Wing. Hi, this is Simona Di Silvestro, and you're listening to more Front Wing.